And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. There we go. All right, welcome everyone. We are live from the bunker. It is Wednesday, May 26th. In the year of our Lord, 2021, welcome everyone. Thanks very much for being here. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor-in-chief here at Sci-Fi For Me. And we're glad you're here. We do invite you to subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And uh, lots of stuff going on. The live chat's open. Comments are open. Uh, you can always send us an email. Connect with us on all the socials. We have a newsletter. You can sign up for that over at sci-fi4me.com or in the show notes here. Uh, I need to do better. We've got some reviews being uh, worked on right now that we're going to get ready to post here, hopefully sooner rather than later. Those of you who are listening to us as a podcast, we're glad you're here as well. We're seeing uh, people from all over the world tuning in, Malaysia, Australia, Russia, Canada, Ireland, the UK, Germany. It's uh, good to have all of you here with us as well. Uh, This uh, little programming note, over the weekend, we're not going to have our regular shows. Uh, We are going to have a program tomorrow, uh, which is something that I had not originally planned. Uh, But uh, our talk with Captain uh, Stephen Machuga of uh, Stack Up, Uh, We ended up having to reschedule, so that's going to air tomorrow. After that, we are completely off the air until next Wednesday. So I wanted everybody to make a note of that. We'll be posting over on social for a few things uh, throughout the weekend, probably as things come up, like this Amazon MGM deal. Uh, So, uh, you know, every now and again, we'll check in and see what's going on. On Monday... Uh, The Walkin' and Rollin' Costumes people are going to have an announcement for a new project they've got lined up, so we'll be sharing that as well. And I know the fan community is blowing up over this geeky pixie thing. It's not not something that we've been following, but apparently this person has done this before. Uh, Geeky pixie turns out not to be an attractive young Asian female, but instead is a mid-30s guy who's apparently got some issues. So uh, I have seen a few people on uh, on their socials starting to post that uh, if you're going to come on my YouTube channel, you're at least going to get on camera one time and show that you're actually who you are. Uh, so that's, that's going to be interesting. And I'm going to bring in Douglas Ernst, our guest today. Let me second i did i did something here hold on there we go there you are hello douglas how are you sir hey man thanks for having me i appreciate it well let me let me ask you this because you're a journalist you're a writer for the washington times and this is something that i have had a little bit of a of a conundrum a quandary because In my world, growing up in the media, having spent 30 years doing it, I'm not used to 
avatars and nicknames <laughs> and usernames. And I'm thinking, well, you know, it, it's a, it's a different world because when we do interviews, I like to introduce, you know, it's like, we're, we're a news thing. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm still having a problem wrapping my head around introducing uh, Yo-Yo 373 as our guest, right. you know, that kind of thing. Is, is there discussion? Have, have, you, have you run across chatter? Do you deal with this as well? Do you have any issues with avatars and usernames? Are we, are we, do we have too much anonymity in all of this? Yeah, for my normal job, for the most part, that never comes up. People are always face-to-face or whatnot. But in the in this arena with graphic novels and comics and pop culture, YouTube videos, that is definitely an issue. And I've never really, for the most part, liked it. Maybe if I'm looking pretty rough and it's really early in the morning or something like that, I might like an avatar, but that's what somebody I know. But yeah. I like to be able to look somebody in the eye and see them face to face. There's all sorts of visual cues you could get when you're talking to someone face to face that you just can't get when it's an avatar, especially if it's controversial things. And you could kind of get a feeling if somebody's nervous, if they're lying to you, if they're fidgety, if they're being weird. And I, I just like face to face. Yeah. Well, and and the other part of it is cre- from a credibility standpoint. You know, if you're going to present yourself as, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with username, avatar, nickname. I mean, people has, have used pen names, you know, mm-hmm. as long as, as they've been around. But to me, Scott Mendelson at Forbes is going to have a little bit more credibility for me, not necessarily by what he writes, but the fact that it's Scott Mendelson at Forbes rather than, like we said, you know, Yo three seven six, you know, five three zero nine, and I'm thinking, how much of a trade off is that? Right. Because then you know you get into these situations with this geeky pixie thing, of course, because it hasn't it has happened before with this same person. This apparently is the third time this guy has catfished the fan community. So. Yeah, well, that's the other thing is with YouTube, you have the super chats and people that are giving money to others. And it's not just you're giving somebody information that they could use to be a better judge of a better customer of a product or or whatnot. So there's these personalities that kind of take root and then people are obsessed with them and they're giving them $50, $100, $200. And uh, I think on some level, you could start exploiting people that are just not very smart or people that are looking to belong to something. And it just gets a little, little strange. So like I said, I like just, you know who I am. I stand by what I say. And it's like, you could put a quote right in, you know, I'm saying this boom. And there's no way I could dodge around. Well, that was a different avatar posing as me or it's fakes and all this. Yeah, and and you are a writer. We'll we'll do the formal introduction here. You're a writer for the Washington Times, and a creator of the comic series Soul Finder, and the 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 latest book, Dark Tide, I think is what it's called. Uh, Black, Black Tide. Tide. Black Tide has just come out. Uh, congratulations on that. And your your approach to that book is different from your approach to the first book. And that's something that I want to get into. But if, let's let's introduce people who are not familiar with Soul Finder. Uh, 
Tell us what that series is about and, and what Black Tide is. Sure. So a couple of years ago, uh, you interviewed me. Thank you again for that. Uh, when Soulfinder Demons Match came out, it's a book about combat veterans who they get out, they come home, and some of them eventually become priests, maybe an exorcist. And if you have that combat vet experience, then you can be recruited into this order of exorcists called soul finders, and they take on this demon called Blackfire and the, the cult that's um, around this particular demon. So where did where did the idea for something like this come from? Because uh, you've, you've had time in the military yourself. Uh, you are a Catholic and and right not you know. embarrassed and not ashamed of it. And yeah, it's it's one of those things where you come into this. But where did the idea of this military exorcism type of thing come from? Sure. So I don't like moral relativism, obviously, as a <laughs> as a Catholic. And I was getting sick and tired of comic books where they, you don't even have anti-heroes a lot of time anymore. It's just that you can't tell who the bad guys and the, and the good guys are. And it was all this nebulous gray area. And I wanted to pit pure evil up against goodness. <laughs> and one way to do that was, to, okay, I'm going to come up with this demon, Blackfire. Okay, who's Blackfire going to go up against. And then I was like, I want a good man. I was also sick of the way that priests were often portrayed in comic books. A lot of the writers just get the basic catechism wrong. And so I was like, okay, well, I want to have a priest who's actually a good man. Uh, And then also with it, I was like, I want to be able to work in mm, different genres as well. So I was like, okay, I can make him a veteran, a combat vet who gets out, he becomes an exorcist. And he's just a good soldier. He's not just this uh, stereotypical PTSD sort of type. He obviously has his own scars from war or whatnot, but he's not this sort of loose cannon where you never know if he's going to snap as a Vietnam veteran sort of thing. And so I wanted to honor the military. I wanted to um, do right by my faith. And I wanted to write a, a good upstanding character or characters and then, again, pit them up against pure evil. Now, that's something that I've seen a couple of other projects that lean into the faith-based storylines. And we've seen a resurgence of that kind of thing in film. There's been some effort to, you know, to make more family-friendly, wholesome-type faith-based stories that are not what people have come to expect from faith-based stories. You know, the the preachy, smarmy, after-school special types that really right. don't perform well. People are sitting there going, if we're going to we're going to make we're going to make movies, we're going to make movies that are actually movies that tell a good story and they entertain. And, you know, whether it's an action picture or a drama or whatnot, but it's going to be informed by our principles and our in our faith and our beliefs and and morals and that sort of thing, and it feels like people are responding to that a little bit more now than they used to. And I'm wondering if maybe there's a there's a particular mode of thought behind why that might be happening. Do you think that there's there's a uh, any any particular reason why people are responding to that now as opposed to? five, 10 years ago? 
I think there's multiple things going on. It's a multi-pronged issue where you've gotten away from classic storytelling over the years. Uh, you have this moral relativism, this soup of, you know, who's nobody's good, nobody's evil. I've said it's sort of like the Seinfeldization of storytelling almost, where you just have people sitting around talking about nothing. That's boring when everybody's just big blob of gray. That's not where good stories are. You can get good stories when you have bold contrasts between good and evil. And that's where you get a lot of really good stuff. Uh, so there's that element of it. And then also I think, so with uh, Soul Finder, I like going back to hearkening to maybe the early indie, you know, the Indiana Jones movies, a lot of the stuff in the eighties, the Goonies, uh, all of that where you classic Spielbergian at his, you know, at his height, when he's at his best, even going back to like Jaws, right. those sorts of things. Actually, this uh, Black Tide was, there's a, a Jaws element to it. <laughs> and so we're, you just have the, these creators where they're trying to entertain you. They're trying to tell good stories. But like you said, underneath it, underpinning everything is the faith-based message. But it's not beating you over the head in a condescending way. Right. Uh, Sci-Fi Sci-Fi in the chat says, I respect Doug's beliefs, but saying it like that makes me not want to buy it, sell it by saying you just want to write a good classic comic. And I, I guess that's that's a that's a challenge sometimes because if you lean into the faith aspect of it, what's to prevent people? A lot of, a lot of times that's a turnoff because especially now, you know, in five, six years into the comics gate thing, when people are talking about keep your politics out of it, don't preach at me, don't lecture me. And early faith-based projects had a tendency to kind of do the, the message a, a little bit heavy handed. How do right. you, how do you avoid that uh, stereotype pre preconceived notion? How do you present this book as not being this, you know, Catholic, lecture that you need to you need to to convert to the faith and whatever sure so like i said the indiana jones movies they are definitely informed by real life events whether it's world war ii and even the underlying theology of christianity mm -hmm. but in no way I, I wouldn't think anybody who watched indiana jones would say that somebody was trying to that, you know, the producers were trying to convince you to become a Catholic at, at any point in, in time. And so there's always going to be somebody that they're going to be turned off. If they see a, a priest with a rosary, that, that's going to be, well, I don't want anything to do with that. So it's like, okay, well, if you can't read an exorcism story with an actual Catholic priest that is theologically sound, yeah. if that in and of itself turns you off to the comic book, then there's nothing I could really do to help you. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I guess it's just not for you. <laughs> right. But at the same time, if you want somebody who is concentrating on character first, story first, what is their motivations, but it's also informed by virtue at the same time, integrity, honesty, selfless service, all of these things, uh, then I think I have an audience for that. There's people that want that. But like you said, there's always going to be people that I've had people email. They're like, well, is, is this too Catholic-y or whatever? And I'm just like, he's literally a Catholic priest. He's an exorcist. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, and, but the and feedback, you, think, 
you think about exorcisms though and and you get into horror and and there's that there's that you know that box that people mm-hmm. will put the 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 Catholic Church in where they're they're the ones that do the the exorcisms and the demon punching and and that kind of story right. so I guess there's a little bit of that here but is it is it hard to strike the balance uh I th- I don't think so. I, and from the feedback that I've received from Soul Finder, Demon's Match, and Black Tide, uh, especially in the first book, uh, Demon's Match, just some guy, he's not shy about saying that he's an atheist. He enjoyed the book quite a bit. He said it was his favorite crowdfunded book. And so that's a, so that to me right there, if I could get agnostics and atheists to say, no, this was a good book. Mm-hmm. And at no point in time did I feel like he was using his faith as a cudgel to tell me I'm a bad person if I don't believe exactly what he believes in real life, yeah. then that's a win for me. And I wanted to write the stories where no matter what level you wanted to drill down into it, you would get something out of it. So if you only want to see uh, a priest go up against a, a giant python demon, uh, king cobra demon, then fine, that's fine. If you only want to see him go up against a half man, half squiddish demonic being that's fine but if you want to dig deep into it and say like oh okay is this legit latin are these legit exorcism prayers Uh, google 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 oh they're actually legit uh exorcism prayers for the laity that sort of thing okay so and you mentioned the crowdfunding with the first book uh you did indiegogo for uh, for that one, but not you didn't do crowdfunding for Black Tide. What was the what was the thinking on that? How, first of all, how how did the how did the crowdfunding go for the first book? What was your experience like there? So with the first book, we raised roughly thirty three thousand dollars. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but it was roughly thirty three thousand dollars, and I think we had close to a thousand. Uh, backers, I want to say it was like 900 and something other. I'm not sure. Um, so that for a first crowdfunded book, I was very happy with that. With the size of my social media accounts on Twitter and YouTube and what we were, were able to attract, I was very happy with that. And the second book, not crowdfunded. Why not? Correct. So with Black Tide, I think ultimately a creator the end game should be to be able to just be completely self-sufficient if you are indie and you want to be truly indie you don't want to have to cut indiegogo a check you don't want to have to cut kickstarter a check if you can avoid it if it's say it's like three four five percent or whatever the cut is again i don't care about the exact numbers all the time i just know that i'm cutting the they're taking a piece of the profits that I want to recycle into the next book to make a better product. So if I could avoid that, and if I could get my own distribution stream going, and I could just control all these different facets of the the process, then that's better for me. But that obviously is difficult. And if you're not going to go to Indiegogo, you're going to miss out on the algorithm that introduces you to other people. If you're not on Kickstarter, you're going to miss out on that. So my bet was, okay, am I okay? Can I retain a certain number of the audience that I had from Demons Match if I just shoot out that email? Will I be able to do that? If I'm on Twitter, if I'm looking at my analytics from the first campaign, how many people came from Twitter? 
Can I retain that number? Can I talk to individuals like yourself who are kind enough to invite me on and get more sales? And my bet was, I think I can, based on the feedback, based on the reviews that I saw on YouTube, based on the emails that I've received, uh, people that either purchased the book or they were following up and that, when's the next book coming out? When's the next book? So I was like, okay, I don't need to be a millionaire. I don't need to make $150,000 on Black Tide. I just need to make enough money to make the third installment and make it a little bit better well, hopefully a lot better that I want to improve with each, each go. And I was like, I think I could do it. And so the data, as far as I'm concerned and looking at it and talking with iconic comics um, is I, it's fine. We're, we're well on our way to the third book with Matt Weldon. Uh, I'm going to continue working with Brett R. Smith. I love working with Timothy Lim in different capacities, logistically um, all of those guys, Bill Williams, Wes Hartman did coloring for, for black tide a great group of guys and I want to keep working with them. Now you mentioned, uh, iconic comics and, and the website there has, you know, you've got Cayman, uh, Cayman America, black hops. Is this, and, and this is just a, a question I'm asking out of ignorance. Cause I'm not sure where all of the players are at this. Is this your imprint or your book is being published on this imprint? No, so I have nothing to do. I don't run Iconic Comics at all. I obviously know the individuals that do run it, and I have a good relationship with them. I met them a couple years ago. Uh, they basically, they they go through everything. They are great number crunchers. So they'll look at all the different crowdfunding campaigns. They'll look into individual creators because people reach out to them. They want to be on their website or they want them to be do distribution or whatnot. Obviously, they don't share all the details with me, but I, I know that people want want to be affiliated with them. And so they're the ones that looked over uh, Demon's Mash. They're the ones that looked over whether I was able to fulfill. Um, it doesn't hurt that I'm friends with Timothy Lim as well. <laughs> so, uh, and they're the ones that ultimately made that decision. They could have said like, you know, uh, thanks, but no thanks. But they, they're, they're like, no, uh, they, they brought in Demon's Match. And then during the pandemic, uh, they monitored sales, ongoing sales for that. They liked it. And so then I'm back with Black Tide. So what are the chances that uh, that Father Redder or Father Crane are going to show up in a Cayman America book? Any, any plans is, for a crossover? <laughs> I've always said since Timothy Lim was instrumental uh, in bringing Demon's Match into existence, that and he's also um, practicing Catholic as well, I trust Timothy uh, implicitly, and I was like, you have a blank check to do whatever you want with Father Redder. I trust you, man. So if he ever wants to incorporate uh, Soul Finder into his universe, uh, whether it's Black Ops or Common America, he go for it. And I trust Mark Pellegrini. He's a, he's a great writer. And uh, so those guys are, are awesome. I love them. And uh, they could do whatever they want. I look at the stuff that Ethan Van Skyver is doing, for example. He's just expanding into another warehouse, and he's publishing other people's books under the all-caps label. It's, it feels like let, that he's kind of leaning into what you're talking about, where you, know, you, take, you take whatever money that you've got and you put it back into more product, um, you know, more books, hardcovers, trade paperbacks, action figures are we are we going to go that route with 
with Soul Finder, or were you going to start doing action figures and play sets and and uh, statues so and that sort actually of Actually, with Black Tide, so uh, there's a rosary that's featured in, in both books, basically. Mm. So on the back cover here, you can see that uh, Father Crane here, he's got a rosary. So I actually got with Rugged Rosaries, and I said, hey, can you make the rosary that's actually in this book? And that was something where there, it was a year-long process, and they said, yeah, I think we can do this. Um, and we, they went over the numbers with me, and I was like, boom, okay. So with Black Tide, I offered a rosary with, for anybody, any Catholics or even Christians, anyone could pray the rosary. If they want it, they could have it. If they don't want it, again, it's one of those things where it's offered, yeah. but it's also practical, and it's tied to the book. And I have a growing sort of like Catholic readership as well. And so it was one of these things where it's like, oh, this is actually in, um, this is actually in the book. You can kind of like see it on the cover there or whatever. And it's practical. So I have nothing against toys. Uh, everybody likes toys. I'm actually doing a, a Doug Prize giveaway on Twitter with my, the Spawn toys that I got recently. But I like to try and find things that um, are, are practical, that people can use that are also tied to it. Um, if for some reason I can find like a, a, a sculptor who can do like an awesome Father Redder or Father Crane battling a demon, I would do that. But if you do these things, you basically got to do them right. Yeah. And you don't, you have like one chance to make a good first impression, obviously. And you don't want to put out a junk product and be like, here's my sculptor, Father Redder. And it's like falling apart and yeah. it just looks like junk. And so if I do something, I want it to be sharp. Have you had conversations with anybody about designing something like that? Or is it, are we too early in the process as far as how many books you've got coming out and, and that sort of thing? First and foremost, I wanted to just focus on the books and the story and the art and the color work. And it was one of those things where, especially with some of the early Indiegogo campaigns, uh, talking to people um, off the grid, they were into like toys and all sorts of stuff before they even delivered their first book to people. And, and I thought that was weird. I was just like, you don't even have your book out. You don't even have it. <laughs> get the story done right, get the art done right, and do that first. And once, once you, you got to crawl before you could walk, and you got to walk before you could sprint. Yeah. And there were people that were trying to run a marathon when they have never trained a day in their life. And so I saw Demon's Match as sort of like, almost like the acoustic version of Indiegogo, where it's like, I'm taking away the laser show. We don't have a laser show. We don't have the, ex you know, all the explosions going on around pyrotechnics. Here's the story. Here's the art. I'm trying to give it to you at the lowest price point possible, and I'm trying to get it to you on time. Boom. Okay, get that done. Now we're build up a little bit. Now we got the hardcover. Okay, let's do this right. Okay, if we could do this right, now let's see where we could go on the third round. And I think a lot of times people try to cut corners on success, and when you cut corners, it's not a good – you could get away with it here and there, some people are smart enough or savvy enough to do it, but the vast majority of people, it's not a good idea to try and cut corners. Uh, so it's a, it's a slow roll, but maybe by the fifth installment, then we could have toys or something along those lines. But right now, it's just, no, get a good story and get really good art. 
How many how many uh, volumes are you thinking before there's some kind of a hardcover omnibus available? Are you going to collect so them all the, together? And I appreciate that question. Uh, so with the third installment, we're actually going to put the first three stories into a hardcover. And so we have a new artist that is working with us with a couple covers. We haven't said anything yet. He's got really awesome work. I can't wait. Uh, to to show off his covers. Dave Dorman's back on, on uh, the third oh. round with two more covers. So my goal is to, every time I put out a story, everyone who's ever worked with me, I want to try and give them work again. I want to say like, Vince Rush, you did bonus art for me on uh, Black Tide. Do you want to be in here? You know, pretty much everyone, I'm trying to find a way to, to get them work. And so you just keep growing this quote unquote soul finder family or whatever you want to call it, where people are like, no, I like working with this guy. He's laid back. He's chill. He's interested in putting out good products and making people happy. And we could keep building this and building a good thing together. Do you have any kind of litmus test for deciding who is going to work on your team? Uh, you know, there's, you know, you talk about uh, other other people that you're talking with who are practicing Catholics. Are there any requirements? Maybe not necessarily along the lines of faith, but, you know, there are some people who, you know, they will only work with Comicsgate people or they'll never work with Comicsgate people. You have those those gatekeeping processes uh, people deciding who they're going to work with, not necessarily based on their skill and their craft, but for other reasons. Is that does that come into play for you at all? No, not. It's one of those things where are you a professional? Uh, are you going to comport yourself like a mature adult online? <laughs> if I go on Twitter, are you going to be? You know, I'm putting out a book about uh, Catholic priests. I'm being interviewed on Word on Fire. Uh, are you as an artist going to be putting out adult material all over your feed or mm. something, something like that, like, and making me have to defend these sorts of things. So ultimately I just want people to be professionals yeah. and it chill guys, Brett R. Smith, Timothy Lim, Matt Weldon. Uh, people know that they're all, they conduct themselves very well. Mark Pellegrini, all these guys, he's, I've sent all my scripts to, to, to Mark and he never holds back. He gives me the, you know, exactly what he feels. And that helps me to be a better writer. So Matt Weldon's a Mormon. Uh, Brett R. Smith, as far as I know, I think he's a non-denominational Christian. <laughs> the the new artist that we brought in for a cover, I've never even asked him about his faith. So I have no idea what, I have no idea what his faith is. Um, it didn't really come up, but I knew that in my discussions with him, he was a really cool guy. Um, I basically was like, hey, uh, do you want to do this little test piece for me? Let's see how it goes. Knocked it out of the park. Uh, and we've just had a really good relationship. So it's really about building relationships that are just built on mutual respect and, again, professionalism. Now, when it comes to social media, just in general, and marketing, we've talked about, you know, the last time you were on here, we've talked about the cancel culture and, and that insidious nature, how it's just kind of gotten into everything. When you're looking at people online and you're trying to figure out, oh, am I going to work with somebody or, or not? The flip side of that is people are going to be looking at you. 
and what you post in your social media. So are you, how cognizant are you of what you need to be able to post and what you want to avoid posting? I mean, I've, I've gotten to a point now where, especially over on Facebook, I don't post anything at all. I just, I'll share links to the stuff that we do here. But my, right. my personal Facebook account has basically just become a, another way to amplify what we're doing on the page rather than anything having to do with me because it's yeah, just gotten to be so toxic. I think that's smart on your part. For me, I don't – so because of my job at the newspaper – <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm writing stories. I'm sharing stories by my coworkers. And so I'm tied to something that is actually political and I'm, I have, it's tied to work. So there's nothing I could do about it. So there's going to be people that will see what I post for work and they will immediately be turned off and they yeah. will. And that's fine. I, I understand that. Uh, but I can't help what I've done for the past decade professionally, <laughs> you know, and they're just like, you're writing a book, you were against politics and comics or, or, or whatnot. And now you, but you work for a newspaper. And I was like, well, actually I was never against politics and comics per se. I was against sucker punching readers with politics who are not expecting it in a Spider-Man comic book or an yeah. Iron Man comic. People will note, I've never, I don't go after indie creators if you bill something as political satire, if you bill something as a whatever, anti-Trump, anti-Obama, anti-Bush, whatever it is, and that's actually what you're giving the customer, what you tell them is what you are giving them, I don't have a problem with that. But when you say, I'm going to give you an Iron Man comic book, and then on page 15, he's giving whatever boilerplate talking points of the day on your whatever cable news channel you like or dislike, that's what I have a problem with. That's what I have. So it, so people sort of confuse what I've always said is that it's like, no, it's not politics. It's lying to people and deceiving them about what's in the books. And it's about turning characters who have historically not been partisan, petty mouthpieces, turning them into that for your own personal agenda. Yeah. Um, that's weird. Uh, but does it yeah, seem, so it, it's tough. Yeah. Does it seem to you that mainstream comics might be starting to come around a little bit on that? I saw recently Dan Slott talking about uh, a particular storyline between Silk and Peter Parker, the whole pheromone thing. It might not have been a good idea. They're starting to recognize some of the mistakes maybe that have been made. Have have we gotten to the point yet where maybe the comics industry is turning a corner on some of this stuff? Because this, you know, we've got the sales numbers that came out here not too long ago. The top 20 adult graphic novels were all manga. And, and you look at, you know, uh, I think perch, uh, posted photographs of the shelves in the bookstores and, you know, Western comics has five shelves right here in this one, one unit and right. manga takes up two rows. I mean, it's 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 crazy how much manga has just exploded over here. Is the the regular Western comic industry finally figuring it out? Do you think? I don't. I don't think a lot of them will. I think a lot of them are ideologues, and they've shown that on their Twitter pages. That I think social media has, in many ways been a bad thing in that it encourages people to embrace the little devil on their shoulder. They know that by saying something 
inflammatory on, on Twitter or Facebook or whatnot, that you'll get likes with that. And it's that dopamine hit by being a mean person <laughs> and just saying these things that are just trying to get reactions out of people and being confrontational and being the most outrageous you can be, especially if it's political. And if you have these writers or artists that they're on books that are not selling very well, and they know that they could get a hundred tweets, retweets if they say something mean, but then if they actually just talk about their book, they get like two retweets or, or yeah. something along those lines. There's an incentive that a sick incentive that I think social media sometimes creates with people. You have to you have to really be grounded in order to have a long-term productive life on Twitter. Yeah. Well, not just Twitter, but you, you look at you look at YouTube, for example, and, and see how many channels have built their audiences on rage bait, clickbait, mm -hmm. hate, you know, the outrage, what I call the outrage media. What are we complaining about today? What are we what are we mad about today? And some right. of that anger is justified when you look at, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, Doctor Who and the and the direction those stories have gone and the quality of the craft and all of that. And you look at how the corporate media is treating some of these franchises. Some of the anger, I think, is justified, but some of it also is, you know, well, I need to hate on something so I can keep my audience. I, I need, you know, stay... I, as much as I as much as I appreciate what Doomcock is doing, if he if he would change his stay angry to something else, <laughs> I think because you can only be mad right. for so long before before it becomes unsustainable. And, and it's hard because if you try to have conversations like this, people will immediately take it as a shot at them when really you're talking about uh, what. YouTube fundamentally encourages people to, you need content yeah. every single day and you need to keep churning out videos because if you don't, then you're going to fall out of favor with the algorithm. So for me, there are times where I don't even post videos for weeks on end because I don't care enough about an issue. I don't feel it rises to a level to where I need to even like, I don't even have my own unique angle on it. So it's like, why would I do a video on it? But if you're a full-time YouTuber, yeah. if that's how you make your money, Again, some people they're just going to try and exploit situations, but other people are just it's like that's I'm putting food on my my family's dinner table and so I got to do a video and it creates that again that incentive to do that, but I think sometimes over the long haul it perverts people's minds and they get weird and they start like it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, mm -hmm. I must be angry yeah. all the time. And I got to find any little thing to nitpick about and turn it into a 10 minute video yeah. or a live stream. And, and so, but if you talk about it again, people are like, Oh, you, are you talking about me? And I'm like, right. I'm not talking about and, you. I'm talking about YouTube. Yeah. And, and, and that's what, you know, to be clear, I'm not taking any shots at anybody either. The culture of YouTube, the way the right. algorithm works definitely plays into that. And it's manipulative on the part of big tech, I think. But also, mm -hmm. you know, you have channels like ours that do a mix of live and pre-recorded, and that affects the algorithm as well right. because you're not doing all of one or the other, so YouTube doesn't quite know what to do with you. And right. then if you mention certain particular topics or certain particular <laughs> names 
then you know you get flamed out by by the algorithm. You you don't show up on search. You don't so, show up in the recommended feeds. Your notifications don't go out. Uh, our growth has been super slow, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're not churning out angry rant videos every single day. You know, we're trying exactly. to take a little bit more balanced approach. And I think in the long run, that's going to serve us better. But it's also, you know, I'm looking at some of these channels, you know, hitting 10,000 subscribers and 100,000 subscribers and a million subscribers. And I'm thinking that would be nice if we could just get to, you know, we're only 98,000 away from 100,000. So, you know, we're, we're, we're getting there. But, you know, it's, it's frustrating because the, the platforms are actively working against the individual creators. Right. And it's one of those things where over time, every once in a while, people will say like, oh, well, you're just jealous of so-and-so YouTuber or, or whatnot. And it's like, first of all, I can see the analytics. I knew way back when that if I wanted to just go all out in terms of Star Wars, you could look at my early Star Wars videos. They got tens of thousands of views. Yep. But I don't care about Star Wars that much. Like, I like it, but it was like, after I did, like, I said my piece, it was like, okay, well, what's the next thing? Like, I can't do this for, some people can do it for two months or three months or four months or whatever. I personally can't do that. So it was like, my actions show that I don't care. <laughs> like, it's like, I care enough to be able to, like, have respectful conversations with, with guys like yourself and others, I care enough to do a video here or there if I feel like I said, like if I maybe have something useful to add to the conversation. Mm -hmm. But if I feel like I'm not contributing something positive or useful uh, to others, then I'm just not going to do a video. Yeah. And it just stinks that I, I feel YouTube does it. It creates an incentive to just be angry and to be bombastic and over the top. And some people get it. Some people get the joke. They get that it's a circus or whatnot, but other people don't. They they don't they don't understand that a lot of it is sort of theater or right. faux anger or something along those lines. Well, and those it, are the people that I feel sorry for. And you've got a point about the dopamine hit. I mean, we've fallen victim to victim to that here as well. I, you know, when the whole Gina Carano thing hit, we did uh, we did a couple of videos about it. And at one point, one of our videos was number one, number three, top five in the search results whenever you did, you know, Disney Gina Carano. There we were. I was like, oh, hey, that's kind of cool. And, and it does. It does give you that, that little bit of uh, a jazzed energy that, well, maybe, maybe this is something that we can keep doing. It's, it, it sustains you. But it's something where if that's your motivation for what you get out of it, it's kind of, you know, like you said, it's hard to sustain that because now you have to, now you have to repeat the performance. Now you've got to do it again and you get locked into this one thing that is, that becomes your thing, whether that's actually you or not. Right. And you, you want to ride the wave on some level, but you want to do it in a principled way. And so you want to do it where you could look yourself in the mirror each morning and, and not feel scuzzy or dirty. But, but that's the thing is with human beings, some people are not principled. Some people don't care if they feel scuzzy. They are yeah. perfectly happy to wallow around in the mud. <laughs> and so YouTube is this very interesting sort of culture where you have 
uh, principled people and unprincipled people and people that are just confused and they don't even know what they believe or why they believe what they believe. And, but then they are actually, sometimes they project their idea of success onto you and then criticize you because you don't have their definition of success. And it's just like, if you want to be, have a million subs on YouTube and you want to do it by any means necessary, fine. That's your life. I'm perfectly fine having 10,000, 11,000 subscribers by just doing one video like every month, you know, once a month or once every couple of weeks. And, but don't try and say that I'm trying to be you or I'm jealous yeah. that I'm not you because if I wanted to be you, I would be putting out videos every day. I've, I've, I've had my book out for two months now. I think I did like six videos or something, something along those lines. Have you run into that kind of feedback from other comics creators asking you why you do things the way you do? Why aren't you doing X, Y, Z, fill in the blank? Why aren't you showing up on 12 live streams a week and, and doing interviews? And, you know, why did you, why did you not crowdfund? Are you running into those questions? Yeah, sometimes I'll get emails or, or, or DMs from uh, generally like readers asking like, well, why aren't you on so-and-so show or so-and-so show? And my answer is ask them. I don't, <laughs> I don't, uh, I know I'm a bad businessman in, in the sense that I'm not going out to everyone saying, can I be on your show? Can I be on your show? Can I be on your show? To me, I'm a writer by vocation. And I think that the product, like, it's like, here's my product. Uh, I think it speaks for itself. I think it's a good product. If you, if you think it looks cool, I'm willing to talk to anyone who wants to have a serious conversation, but you get into this weird thing where people want to, the whole reason why I started my own YouTube channel and Twitter to begin with is so I didn't have to be beholden to anybody else, or you get a situation where people think there's a quid pro quo sort of thing going on. Mm -hmm. where it's like, well, I had you on my show. So what's, what you going to do for me? Sort of like, it's not always explicitly stated, but it's like this underneath the surface sort of thing. And it's like, right. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to deal with that. If you want to have a nice conversation, I, I will do that, but I will not grovel before anybody to be like, please, please let me be on your show. <laughs> like I, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I have to admit that every now and again, I have to fight that too. Is that, you know, well, I was, I was, you know, I've had you on my channel, you know, mm. there that that I have to make sure that I am avoiding the expectation of reciprocity because the goals for the channels are are different because right. if I have a creator on talking about their book, our channel is more, you know, news interviews, reviews type of thing. We don't have a book to promote. I'm not making a comic book. Right. So a lot of these channels maybe is not a good fit for us to be on there. So I'm, I'm having to remind myself we're a completely different kind of animal from what most of these other YouTube channels are doing. And, and I've had people over the years that are like, I want to be on your channel and do X, Y, and Z. And then I'm in this awkward position where I'm like, have you even watched my channel? Yeah. What you're asking me to do, I have never done it since 2017 on my channel so why would I do that for you? It doesn't even make any sense. Like you have to say this in a tactful way. And then like the individual will get angry at you. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like if you look at my content, it's not what you want me to do. Yeah. And you're doing this, like we were talking about, it's like, well, I promoted 
demons match or something along those lines. So therefore you should do what I want. And it's like, yeah, well, and then you also have, you know, (laughs) then you also have the crowd, you know, the, the various different groups and anti-groups and Mm -hmm. well, you had that person on your channel. So you must be aligned with this group. I was like, well, no, I've also had this person on my channel and I've had that person on my channel and I've had this person and none of them are in the same group. And, and you put them in the same room, they'd probably start punching each other. It it's it's hard to well I say it's hard it's not it's not hard for me to maintain our neutrality uh, so 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 to speak but I I've talked with staff here at some point somebody out there is going to decide who we are mm-hmm. you know we well you had. Uh, you had Chris Barley from from Bleeding Fool on, or you had you know you had Douglas Ernst on. He's a conservative. Well, how dare you? You you, know, you right. had you've had these comics gate creators on, you know. And I I expect if there was ever a time that we were talking to somebody like say Ethan Van Skyver, for example, you know the the whole thing would blow up in my face just because people are so reactive, not because the quality of the book. You know, nobody's out out there. Nobody talks about how good or how bad Cyberfrog is as a product. Mm-hmm. They're looking at Ethan's political ideology, and that's the judgment call that they make. And cool. same thing for you know a number of creators, and I'm sure you've run into this as well because you know you're you're not part of the you know the progressive liberal left leaning crowd. So the, that's, that's going to work against you. It works against us at the, at the same time, not only from a standpoint of audience or readership in your case, but also the platforms, right. you know, the big tech and, you know, Twitter and YouTube and all of that. They're going to be working against people that don't have the right group think. And I've always, when people have tried to essentially dictate who I, whom I speak to and who I do not speak to. I've always said, okay, well, do you believe that when I go into an interview, I try to raise the bar? Do I try to raise the level of discourse or do I try and bring it down? Okay. Well, you seem like a pretty nice guy. You're pretty tackle, raise the bar. Okay. If that is the case, why would you be opposed to me talking to the person that you don't like? If you acknowledge that when I'm speaking to someone, I'm not trying to fight for the sake of fighting. I'm not trying to cause fireworks just to cause fireworks. I'm actually trying to have a real conversation where at the end of the day, we both depart and we feel like we got something good out of it. Then why would you try and dictate who am I, whom (laughs) I'm talking to? And so I've tried to set this standard, this boundary where it's like, when people look at me, they're like, no, he's going to talk to anybody and I'm just going to have to deal with it. And I have to accept the fact that he's going to try, he might fail, but he's going to try and actually have an honest conversation with somebody. Yeah. It is, it is a little bit of a challenge because you have to, you, you've got to walk that line and convince people. I'm not, I'm not driven by an ideological agenda here. I just, you know, we, we have a conversation. We're going to talk about your book. We're going to talk about your movie. Uh, and that sort of thing. And I'm not going to try to convince you of something. And that's something that we've said here a number of times. We tell people, you know, if you anybody's welcome in our audience. You don't have to agree with us. We're not going to call right. you names. We're not going to dox you or block you or anything like that. 
So I think that that level of respectful discourse is still a work in progress for a lot of people. And uh, it's it I don't it'll take a while, I think, before we get to that. point. I think where we they've marinated that. in this culture and the social media culture that we've talked about for so long, where the second you don't like someone block, 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 block. And sometimes blocking if somebody is only going to swear at me ad nauseum, then it's like, OK, they, they clearly just that's all they want to do. So. Yeah. Uh, they at least need a timeout in the penalty hockey penalty box or something along those <laughs> lines. Cool off. But you have so many people. They're not used to a situation where you just have two guys sitting across from each other and maybe they don't agree with each other and everything, but they don't they don't need to agree with each other and everything. And they could still be respectful even yeah. if they do have those disagreements. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where, you know, we've got a we've got a show on Monday night where, you know, I'm I'm the conservative and and my co-host is is a liberal and we have those conversations about things that we enjoy in ter- in terms of, you know, genre, science fiction and fantasy and horror and that sort of thing. And it's and it's an easy thing to do. If if you recognize that there's a a, a common ground it's a lot easier to have that conversation than to fight over orange man bad or who won the election or whatever else. And I think people need to be reminded of that a little bit more frequently than they are because we need to be able to get along a little bit better with each other, I think. Yeah, and any any conversation, especially if you're talking about movies or video games or whatever, there's going to be some sort of level of overlap where you could – concentrate on the things that bring you together instead of the things that divide you. Yep. And so it's like a list of priorities. I was like, okay, do we want to spend 90% of our time on things that unite us? Or do we want to spend 90% of our time on things that divide us? We have a, we have a conscious decision to make. We can do this. And a lot of people, they're like, okay, well, if I agree with you 70% of the time, then I'm going to consider you 30% my enemy and focus on that. Yeah. And it's like, I think that's weird. Uh, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of weird, demon fighting priests uh, from the military. When is what's what's the plan for the next book? Where how far along are you for volume three? Sure. So Matt Weldon, uh, who did a uh, black black tide here, he is back for the third round. the The next book is going to be called Soulfinder: Infinite Ascent. He's twenty five pages into it. It's a seventy two page story. I'm going to try and have an eight-page bonus story afterwards as well. And like I, I said before, the plan is to have a hardcover edition that also has all three uh, stories in in one. And I'll be working with API Print Productions once again. Uh, they're, they're the ones that did uh, both our hardcovers here for uh, Black Tide. They did a great job. They got the glow in the dark, the spot gloss, the emboss, and the deboss. And I'm very happy with them. And uh, we're rolling along. If I could get it out this year... I will, but I want to do it right. So I think actually getting the hardcover right is going to take the longest amount of time. And maybe it'll be early next year. It just depends on what we want to do with the hardcovers. Now, is Soul Finder the only story universe franchise that you're working on? Have you got other IPs that, that are in the hopper that you're waiting to, to get out? Yeah, there's, there, there are two that are, we'll say, on deck. But because of my normal job at the newspaper, there's only so much time in a day. And I'm like, okay, well, I got to concentrate. I don't want to be all over the map. Right. I, wanna, I don't want to be a squirrel chasing a, 
a super ball in a spaceship or something like that bouncing all over the place. So I want to be able to focus on one thing, build that. And then once that gets established, if I have time, then I have a couple other IPs that I want to work on. And uh, Brett R. Smith, I've told him, I was like, hey, I got this other IP. I love your color work. I want you back. If I'll send the script to you first. And if you want it, it's yours. All right. In the meantime, you've got uh, Soul Finder Black Tide. This is book two in the series by Douglas Ernst, Matthew Weldon doing art, Brett Smith on colors, Dave Dorman on the cover, Bill Williams letters, Tim Lim doing a variant cover there. That is available. Iconiccomics.com is where you find that. And uh, Douglas, of course, over on Twitter, posting the things what make people upset. Washington Times. So uh, <laughs> so there is that as well. Where else can people find you online if they want to search out socials and, and websites and, and that sort of thing? If they don't want to deal with politics, then they can just go over to Instagram. Every once in a while I'm there, I'll, I'll post uh, something associated either with Soul Finder or something nature-y if I'm out on a walk with my wife or something along those lines. Uh, so Instagram is where I don't have anything to deal with politics over there. Yeah. Um, it's pretty much all either comics or soul finder. And then Douglas Ernst blog is, uh, is your, is your blog site. I, I'm assuming this is your main website, I guess you could say. That was my original baby, I guess. I used to just blog and I, I loved that very much, but then I wanted to reach a bigger audience and then I branched off and I started doing YouTube. Every once in a while I'll blog. I should probably get back to that. But again, it's all time management. Uh, how much time do you have in a day and, and figure out what you want to do? Yeah. All right. Well, good luck with it. And we're looking forward to uh, having you back to talk about volume three. And maybe in, in the meantime, we'll talk culture and comics and, and maybe, uh, Maybe we'll have a conversation about faith at some point. So Sounds great, man. All right. Thanks very much for being here, sir. And tomorrow, Captain Stephen Machuga will be here to talk about his organization, stackup.org. Uh, they provide video games to help veterans uh, dealing with uh, PTSD and transitioning back home. So we hope you join us for that. I know I said we weren't going to have a shot uh, show on Thursday, but yeah, we do. And uh, it's going to be pre-recorded uh, because we are uh, shutting things down here for the weekend, for the holiday. Uh, Mrs. Boss, very much looking forward to just turning all the computers off for a few days and, and relaxing. So we're going to do that. And then back to our regular programming next Wednesday. But I also want you to keep track of the socials because walking and rolling costumes is going to have an announcement on Monday, and we will be sharing that as well. So in the meantime, feel free to check out any of the rest of our videos. You can subscribe to the channel if you haven't yet. And we do always look at your feedback. If you want to leave a comment or send us an email, live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com and uh, suggest guests that we can invite, or if you've got topics that you would like us to cover, we'll do that as well. We've got seven shows here. There's uh, probably something that you will find to enjoy if it's not this show. So check that out, and we will be back next Wednesday here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Thanks for being here, and remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. 
No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Landing Dog Media.